brought to you by the Cannabis Bee Network. Here is the Cannabis Bee News with your host, Scott Jacobs. Hello, listeners. How's it going today? This is episode CBN 070-211-2014. Before we roll into our articles, let me remind you we also produce the Cannabis Entrepreneur Show at CannabisEntrepreneur.com. If you're a Green Rush entrepreneur or just an entrepreneur at heart, please take a listen. All right, let's roll into article number one. Obama signs farm bill legalizing hemp cultivation in some states. Obama signs farm bill legalizing hemp cultivation in some U.S. states. My Panditti. Source, all voices. What kind of a country would prohibit cultivation of one of the most useful plants on the planet? If you live in the United States, the answer is your very own homeland. That plant is hemp which has been used by civilizations everywhere since ancient times for such practical purposes as paper, rope, food products and more. So why has growing hemp been a crime in the U.S. for so many years? Because hemp is another name for cannabis sativa, the scientific name for the plant commonly known as marijuana. Even though hemp was an important crop throughout much of American history, anti-marijuana hysteria in the 1930s led to it being outlawed. After the 1930s, George Washington's advice to make the most of the Indian hemp seed and sow it everywhere was largely forgotten. Government whizzes up. But there is light on the horizon. Finally, after several decades of ignorant, fear-based attitudes toward restoring legal hemp farming in America, Congress took a step in the right direction in passing the Farm Bill in early February. President Barack Obama signed the bill Friday in East Lansing, Mitch making hemp farming legal under federal law at pilot programs across the nation in states that have already legalized the versatile crop. As the Washington Post reported Wednesday, a brief section buried deep in the 959-page bill authorizes colleges and universities to be authorized to grow industrial hemp for research purposes if they are located in a state that allows hemp to be grown and cultivated. At this point, nine states allow hemp farming, the Post reported, California, Oregon, Montana, Colorado, North Dakota, Kentucky, West Virginia, Vermont, and Maine. An additional 11 states have hemp legalization bills pending this year, according to the Post. The industrial hemp industry is now poised to become a major fact of American life, eventually bringing job growth to wide swaths of the country. Hemp produces one of the most useful fibers known to man. HempHistory.org says it produces 10% more fiber than cotton or flax when grown on the same land. Hemp will become a common fiber for making all manner of textiles. The hemp seed is packed with nutrition, including essential fatty acids and proteins. Nutiva.com provides this useful information. A recent report funded by the Canadian government states that hemp protein is comprised of 66% high-quality distant protein, and that hemp seed contains the highest percentage of this of any plant source. Hemp also contains three times the vitamin E contained in flax. Unlike soy, hemp is not genetically modified, and it doesn't contain the anti-nutritional qualities commonly found in soy. Hemp's uses don't stop there. A 2010 article in USA Today called Homes Built Out of Hemp the Cutting Edge of Green Building. Hemp is not a drug. Best of all, for those who erroneously believe that hemp is somehow going to get everyone who touches it high as a kite, there is absolutely no risk of that happening. Just as an intoxicating drink can be made from, say, corn or apples, 
cannabis sativa can be cultivated in a way to produce buds packing psychoactive chemicals that will indeed change the perceptions of the users. But hemp cultivated for more practical purposes is not at all suited for recreational drug use. Just as people can eat corn on the cob and apple pie with no intoxicating effects, we can happily consume hemp seeds and keep a clear head, too. In the space of a few years, we will come to realize that outlawing hemp was one of the most counterproductive measures in American history. To put it as bluntly as possible, legalization of marijuana for medical and recreational purposes is a completely separate issue from legalizing industrial hemp for the aforementioned uses and more. If you're one of those people who is always complaining about Congress and the President, why not take the time to contact your congressional representatives and thank them for doing something right? And if you want to thank the man who signed the bill that legalized hemp farming, the President can be reached here. It's not every day we can say our government made a wise decision, but today at least as it relates to the future of hemp farming is one of those days. Article number two, Hemp Shows Promise as Cooking Oil. Take it away. Hemp Shows Promise as Cooking Oil. By J. Travis Smith. Source, Nature World News. The development of hemp plants with drastically increased oleic acid content has resulted in a cooking oil that is similar to olive oil in terms of fatty acid content but has a much longer shelf life as well as greater heat tolerance and potentially more industrial applications, according to a release announcing the findings. The development of hemp plants with drastically increased oleic acid content has resulted in a cooking oil that is similar to olive oil in terms of fatty acid content, but which has a much longer shelf life as well as greater heat tolerance and potentially more industrial applications, according to a release announcing the findings. Researchers at the University of York said that high oleic acid content in the plants is a major step forward towards hemp becoming a commercially attractive crop for cereal farmers. The research was published in Plant Biotechnology Journal. Scientists selected hemp plants lacking the active form of an enzyme involved in making polyunsaturated fatty acids. Instead, these plants accumulated higher levels of the monounsaturated oleic acid. Then, using conventional plant breeding techniques, they developed a breed of the plants into a high oleic hemp line. Oil from the new line was almost 80% oleic acid, compared with typical values of less than 10% in the standard hemp line. This high monounsaturated low polyunsaturated fatty acid profile increases the oil's thermal stability and oil from the new line was shown to have around 5 times the stability of standard hemp oil. This not only makes the oil more valuable as a cooking oil but also increases its usefulness for high-temperature industrial processes, writes the statement. Declining yields of rapeseed and increased pests and disease attacks means UK farmers need another break crop to maintain sustainability of their fields. Hemp is a low-input crop and is also dual-purpose, with the straw being used as a fiber for bedding, composites and textiles, for biomass and as a source of high-value waxes and secondary metabolites. The new line represents a major improvement in hemp as an oil crop. Similar developments in soybean and oilseed rape have opened up new markets for these crops, due to the perceived healthiness and increased stability of their oil, said Ian Graham, professor from the Center for Novel Agricultural Products at York. Article number 3. Monroe Mother Makes Plea for Medical Marijuana to Legislators. Take it away. Monroe Mother Makes Plea for Medical Marijuana to Legislators. By Maggie Lee. Source, Macon.com. In front of a packed room at the Georgia Capitol, Monroe County mother Jenny Cox pleaded for her daughter's life at the first hearing on a new medical marijuana proposal. I'm going to lose my child if this drug is not approved, said Cox, whose daughter Haley is the inspiration and namesake for House Bill 885, by state Republican Alan Peake, R. Macon.
we're going to break up my family, a tearful cock said while her child was a few miles away at Children's Hospital of Atlanta at Eggleston, where she has been for more than 50 days since a severe attack that caused her to stop breathing for several minutes. Cox said her husband would stay in Georgia to keep his job. Haley's breathing continues to stop regularly, she said. The mother and daughter were packing for Colorado when the first episode happened. Peaks bill would open a door for Georgians to access to a liquid medicine derived from cannabis for treatment of severe seizure disorders. It has extremely low levels of THC tetrahydrocannabinol, the part that makes you high, said Peak, and is low in CBD, or cannabidiol, a therapeutic compound. I would posit this is not marijuana. This is an extract from a chemical from a plant, said Dr. Michael Green of Macon, speaking for the Medical Association of Georgia. The association adamantly opposes recreational marijuana but favors Peak's bill, saying it includes adequate safeguards and is narrowly enough written. If you have a family member with this, your family is consumed with this, said Green. And some of the other treatments for severe epilepsy, he said, include drastic measures like severing some of the connections in the brain. But there is a lot between Monday's hearing and any cannabis derivative arriving at the Cox House. The elephant in the room is the Federal Drug Enforcement Agency, said Rick Allen, director of the Georgia Drugs and Narcotics Agency. He's in charge of overseeing prescription drugs in Georgia as they pass through the hands of pharmacists, doctors and researchers. He noted that the only marijuana farm the federal government considers legal is its own patch at the University of Mississippi, which is used for federally approved cannabis research. But if it's not Mississippi Cannabis or a UK-approved CBD-rich medication with federal approval, it's no good, Allen said. The drugs from Colorado could not come into Georgia legally, he said. Nobody wants a raid from the DEA. Our biggest challenge so far is how do we get medical cannabis to Georgia, Peake said. In other states, trials are going on with ACBD-rich medicine, but there is more demand than supply for those programs. And if a doctor in Georgia wanted to start research, it's not clear how long it would take to get started. Indeed, even for ACBD-rich pediatric anti-seizure medicine that doesn't have FDA approval, there's a line more than 2,000 people deep, said it's Colorado Springs. Colorado-based manufacturer Joel Stanley. The customers for his Charlotte's Web are people who just love their kids, not recreational marijuana activists, Stanley said. Charlotte's Web costs about $150 to $250 per patient per month, depending on the dose required, said Stanley. It's named for Charlotte Fiji, a Colorado girl whose seizure disorder was relived by the liquid. But Susan Rush is critical of substances like Charlotte's Web because the FDA does not oversee its production or approve its use. Children have a right to safe medicines, not impure, unsafe, experimental drugs, said Rush, president and CEO of the Atlanta-based anti-substance abuse organization National Families in Action. Karen Tinker, a mother of an epileptic son, also wants to go slow. I don't want to condone reckless trial and error, she said at Monday's hearing. She's sticking with medicines that have been researched for side effects and interactions. I don't want my son to be a guinea pig, she said. But besides the legal and medical debate, there's also a calendar to think about. The state legislative session is half over. There are just 20 more working days left this year, and the bill must pass the House of Representatives by day 30, or it's dead for the year. A hearing for public comment is tentatively scheduled for Thursday in the House Health and Human Services Committee. Article number 4. Bill to Legalize Medical Marijuana Introduced in Florida. Take it away. Bills to Legalize Medical Marijuana Introduced in Florida. By Bill Cotterell. Source, Reuters. 
Florida state legislators introduced identical bills on Monday to legalize medical marijuana treatment in the 2014 legislative session, in a bid to win approval before a constitutional amendment on the issue comes up for a public vote in November. Senators Jeff Clemens and Joe Saunders, both Democrats, brought numerous patients and their family members to the unveiling of their bill, which would effectively implement by statute the constitutional amendment that is on the November ballot. This bill puts patients before politics, said Kathy Jordan of Parrish, president of the Florida Cannabis Action Network, who has lived 28 years with ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig disease. Jordan, whose speech is slurred by her illness, sat in her wheelchair next to her husband, Robert, who read her statement at a news conference in front of the Florida Senate. The amendment, and the newly introduced legislation, would specify tight state regulation for doctors to prescribe marijuana for treatment of conditions like cancer, HIV-AIDS, ALS and other severe afflictions. Identically worded bills were introduced in both houses of the state legislature on Monday, offering greater ease of passage. The session starting March 4 will mark the fourth year such a bill has been introduced. Republican legislative leaders, along with Governor Rick Scott and Attorney General Pam Bondi, vigorously opposed the constitutional amendment. The Florida Supreme Court approved the valid language on the amendment, though, and it will become law if 60% of the voters approve it next November. Polls show the ballot proposal has a strong chance of success. If the amendment passes, Saunders said the 2015 legislature will have to pass implementing legislation specifying, how will we grow it, how will people who need it get access to it and how will those who are seeking to abuse it receive consequences. While Republican leaders opposed the medical marijuana amendment, a separate bill allowing use of a non-euphoric marijuana extract known as Charlotte's Web is also making progress in the Florida House. The derivative is drawn from a portion of the marijuana plant that does not get users high, but has shown results in treating seizures. The constitutional amendment is seen as a driver for Democratic voter turnout at the polls in November. The petition campaign that put it on the ballot was bankrolled by Orlando attorney John Morgan, a close ally of former Governor Charlie Crist, who was seeking the Democratic nomination for another term as governor. Crist supports the amendment and political observers expect the referendum will draw more young and minority voters who tend to vote Democratic. Article number 5. Medical Marijuana Gains Traction in the Deep South. Take it away. Medical Marijuana Gains Traction in the Deep South. By Christina A. Cassidy, Associated Press. Source, The Salt Lake Tribune. Medical marijuana has been a non-starter in recent years in the Deep South, where many Republican lawmakers feared it could lead to widespread drug use and social ills. That now appears to be changing, with proposals to allow a form of medical marijuana gaining momentum in a handful of southern states. Twenty states and the District of Columbia have legalized medical marijuana, and this year powerful GOP lawmakers in Georgia and Alabama are putting their weight behind bills that would allow for the limited use of cannabis oil by those with specific medical conditions. Other southern states are also weighing the issue with varying levels of support. The key to swaying the hearts of conservative lawmakers has been the stories of children suffering up to 100 seizures a day whose parents say they could benefit from access to cannabidiol, which would be administered orally in a liquid form. And proponents argue the cannabis oil is low in tetrahydrocannabinol, or THC, the psychoactive compound in marijuana that makes users feel high. I'm an unlikely champion for this cause, said Georgia Republican Alan Peake, a businessman from Macon who attended the Evangelical Dallas Theological Seminary. Once people realize it's not a six-year-old smoking a joint, most folks realize this is the compassionate thing to do. Peake's bill has already earned the backing of more than 80 state lawmakers, including several members of the House Republican leadership, 
who signed on as co-sponsors in the state's largest professional association of doctors. The bill would revive a long-dormant research program allowing academic institutions to distribute the medical cannabis and would be limited in scope, tightly restricted, well-regulated and managed by doctors, Peek said. Alabama Republican Mike Ball, a retired hostage negotiator for the state patrol, is behind a bill that would allow people to possess the cannabis oil if they have certain medical conditions. It passed a key committee vote on Wednesday. The public is starting to understand what this is, said Ball, who chairs a powerful House committee and is a prominent voice on law enforcement issues. The political fear is shifting from what will happen if we pass it, to might what happen if we don't, Ball said. The bills in Georgia and Alabama still have more vetting, and their ultimate prospects are not certain. But what is happening offers a strong signal of what's to come in other states. In Louisiana, although a bill has yet to be introduced, a recent committee hearing at the Capitol on legalizing medical marijuana drew a standing room only crowd, and Governor Bobby Jindal made comments last month indicating he was willing to consider it. When it comes to medical marijuana, if there is a legitimate medical need, I'd certainly be open to making it available under very strict supervision for patients that would benefit from that, Jindal says, according to a report in The Advocate. Technically, both Georgia and Louisiana have laws on the books from the 1980s and 1990s that allow for the use of medical marijuana, but those programs essentially ended before they could start. Georgia's law established the academic research program for those diagnosed with glaucoma and cancer patients undergoing chemotherapy and radiation, but the program stalled when the federal government stopped delivery of legal cannabis. Louisiana's law allowed for glaucoma and cancer patients and those suffering from spastic quadriplegia to receive marijuana for therapeutic use but regulations to govern the program were never developed. In Mississippi, Republican State Senator Josh Harkins of Brandon is sponsoring a cannabis oil bill similar to the ones in Alabama and Georgia. Harkins said one of his constituents has a 20-month-old daughter with Dravet syndrome, a form of pediatric epilepsy, and the oil can help reduce the number of seizures. Elsewhere, both Kentucky and Tennessee have medical marijuana bills under consideration although they have yet to gain traction. Kentucky Senate President Rover Stivers, our Manchester, has said he's not convinced marijuana has legitimate medical purposes and called it an area ripe for abuse. In Florida, it's likely to become a campaign issue in the fall given that Governor Rick Scott is up for re-election and the proposed constitutional amendment will be on the ballot that would allow for the medical use of marijuana as determined by a licensed physician. Former Republican Governor Charlie Crist, now a Democrat seeking to challenge Scott, has called it an issue of compassion, trusting doctors and trusting the people of Florida. Meanwhile, Alabama Governor Robert Bentley has signaled a willingness to discuss medicine that might be derived from marijuana with appropriate federal regulation. If someone wants to use the medicine that is in marijuana, go through the same testing that you have to go through when you do that through the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, you go through all of that, do the testing, the drug testing, that's fine, Bentley said last month. I have no problem with that. I am not just for prescribing marijuana. Georgia Governor Nathan Deal has declined to take a position, but noted the strong case being presented by some of the families with very serious situations involving their children. Dustin Chandler, a police officer in Pelham, Ayla, has been a major part of the effort there. His daughter, two-year-old Carly, has three to five seizures each day from a severe neurological condition she has had since infancy. Chandler believes cannabidiol could help control his daughter's seizures and improve her cognitive functioning based on anecdotal evidence seen elsewhere. We've been battling the stigma from the M-word, Chandler said. I'd love to hear my daughter talk. I'd love to hear her say one word. You know that is something most parents take for granted. Overall, 
Public opinion in support of legalization has shifted in less than a decade, according to William Galston and E.J. Dion, who co-wrote a paper last year on the topic for the Brookings Institution. The authors noted proponents were shrewd in focusing the earliest campaigns on efforts to allow the use of marijuana for medical purposes, citing a 2013 Pew Research Center survey that three-quarters of Americans, including 72% of Republicans, believe marijuana has legitimate medical uses. Among critics' biggest concerns is that allowing medical marijuana even under a narrow list of circumstance would eventually open the door to widespread use. Peak, the Georgia lawmaker, has been adamant that will not be the case. I am concerned as anyone that we would get to a slippery slope of a broader scope of marijuana use in the state, Peak said. I promise you I will fight that with every bit of energy in me. Georgia Republican Terry England, chairman of the powerful House Appropriations Committee and a deacon at his Baptist church in Auburn, is a prime example of a state lawmaker who never thought of legalizing medical marijuana but is now open to it, even signing on as a co-sponsor to Peak's bill. I've not made a complete 180-degree turn, but I'm probably at 178 degrees, England said. Article number 6. Marijuana backers hit a political cord. Take it away. Marijuana backers hit a political cord. Lawmakers tried to tap into fervor for legalization. By Matt Visor. Source, the Boston Globe. Not long ago, Alan St. Pierre couldn't get an audience with many politicians. When he tried to send them campaign contributions, the checks were returned. His efforts to persuade the political establishment to take seriously the legalization of marijuana were met with blank stares, or worse. But now lawmakers are beating a path to his door for meetings and advice, hoping to harness this new energy behind an issue that had been on the fringe of American politics. The once quixotic goal of St. Pierre's group NORML, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws is now one of Washington's most discussed issues. Representatives of an array of potential presidential candidates have contacted him, asking for meetings to seek NORML's endorsement and tap at stoner base. Campaign checks are being cashed at a greater rate. We are no longer talking about whether marijuana should be legal, but about when it should be legal, St. Pierre said. It is a dizzying degree of change in a relatively short time. I ask the staff every day to non-sexually pinch me, St. Pierre said. You have to remind yourself how far we've come. The signs of a shifting political environment are hard to miss. President Obama, who famously revealed he had smoked pot in his high school chum gang, said in an interview published last month that marijuana was no more dangerous than alcohol. Colorado and Washington state have legalized recreational marijuana. Twenty states, including Massachusetts, make cannabis legal for medical use, and a number of others, also including Massachusetts, are preparing ballot initiatives or legislation that would authorize recreational purchases. If you were to cast for an affable, clean-cut New Englander, St. Pierre would surely get the part. His salt and pepper hair is trimmed neatly above his ears. On a recent day, he wore navy slacks, loafers, and a v-neck sweater over a green flannel shirt. The 48-year-old from Chatham used to be a caddy for the late House Speaker Thomas P. Tip O'Neill. There's just one thing, his office, which is on K Street about two blocks from the White House, is a practically a museum to marijuana. There's marijuana leaves on t-shirts and hats, candles that look like joints, and the latest issue of High Times magazine. A marijuana plant sits on his desk, and a giant joint on a bookshelf both are fake. High Times, indeed. With the march toward legalization begun, there is much to be decided in Washington. Obama's recent comments effectively cast the issue as, who will sell it, who will get rich from it, said St. Pierre. 
he would not reveal which prospective presidential candidates have contacted his organization, but he did note that no one from Hillary Clinton's network has reached out though he suspects they will as public opinion continues to move in this direction. In October, nearly 60% of Americans said the drug should be legalized, the first time that a clear majority felt that way in a Gallup poll. It was a jump of 10 percentage points from the previous year. A CNN poll released last month had similar findings, with senior citizens, Republicans, and Southerners now the only large demographic groups still opposed to legalize marijuana. 62% of Democrats and 59% of independents back legalizing the drug, compared with 36% of Republicans. With the vast majorities of Democrats and those between the ages of 18 and 34 inches support of legalizing marijuana. Some Democratic consultants see the issue as a way to re-energize young voters who have soured on Obama. In Florida, Democrats are hoping a ballot initiative on medical marijuana will drive up turnout this November for their gubernatorial hopeful, Charlie Crist. Alaska is expected to vote on legalizing marijuana in August, and Oregon is likely to follow in November. In the Northeast, 60% of those surveyed by CNN supported legalizing marijuana, greater than any other region in the country. As a result, marijuana advocates are targeting New England, with plans to have the issue before voters or state lawmakers in almost every state by 2016. The New Hampshire House last month became the first legislative body to approve a bill legalizing marijuana, although Governor Maggie Hassan has said she would veto the bill. There's been more public dialogue about marijuana and marijuana policy than ever before, said Mason Furt, communications director for the Marijuana Policy Project, another group advocating for legalizing marijuana. The more people talk about marijuana and more they hear about it, the more support we see for ending prohibition. Most Americans no longer believe that marijuana is physically harmful, psychologically harmful, or a gateway drug. About 35% of Americans now say that smoking marijuana is morally wrong, half what it was in 1987. Enforcement is increasingly seen as both a waste of time and as unfair. There are also potential financial benefits to legalizing and taxing the drug. Maybe we should legalize, Senator John McCain, the Arizona Republican, said at a town hall meeting last year. We're certainly moving that way as far as marijuana is concerned. I respect the will of the people. St. Pierre has been in a unique position to see the change. He was hired by NORML in 1991, less than a decade after President Reagan declared a war on drugs and just before Bill Clinton admitted to using marijuana in college but quickly added, I didn't inhale. St. Pierre grew up in Chatham and graduated from the University of Massachusetts Amherst. In the 1980s, while caddying at Eastward Ho Country Club in Chatham, he learned that O'Neill wasn't the best golfer his weight was a hindrance, and loved to sing Irish tunes and drink at the bar he would hold court at the Wayside Inn. But what he really learned from the master of the house was the old maxim that all politics is local advice that marijuana advocates have used with remarkable effectiveness. I saw him work local politics at the most retail level, St. Pierre said of O'Neill. He knew how to work with everyone, from the dishwashers to the elite in the country. When St. Pierre joined the marijuana movement, it was composed mostly of counterculture activists, with long hair and goatees. St. Pierre, in buttoned-up Washington, tried to promote a different image. If you present yourself as counterculture, you'll be treated as counterculture, he said. I'm a preppy New Englander who wears tweed. I shave twice a day sometimes because I'm so conscious about it. Most days he wears a golden cannabis leaf on his lapel. In Washington, it gets mistaken for a Canadian maple leaf. In Denver it earns him free meals. Even Obama has tentatively embraced some of the movement's ideas even though this directly contradicts his administration's stated policy that it steadfastly opposes legalization of marijuana.
I don't think it is more dangerous than alcohol, Obama said in an interview with The New Yorker. While Obama still characterized it as a vice and said he told his daughters it's a waste of time, not very healthy, he also suggested current law is too harsh and it was important for the Colorado and Washington laws to move forward. We should not be locking up kids or individual users for long stretches of jail time when some of the folks who are writing those laws have probably done the same thing, he said. The White House has emphasized that Obama's comments meant no shift in policy and said that he does not support nationwide decriminalization efforts. Still, the administration policy can seem a bit muddled. While marijuana possession remains a felony, for example, the Justice Department said last year it will not prosecute such cases in states where it has been legalized. Attorney General Eric Holder recently said the administration was working on regulations to make it easier for banks to work with state-sanctioned marijuana sellers. Banks have worried about being convicted on money laundering charges for dealing with an illegal narcotic, forcing marijuana sellers to deal entirely in cash. Those opposed to legalizing marijuana have been promoting the ill effects of the drug, noting that it is stronger than when Obama was smoking it in the 1980s. Patrick Kennedy, the former Democratic Rhode Island congressman and chairman of Smart Approaches to Marijuana, has been calling for a tax on marijuana distributors that would be used to fund a study on impacts on young people. The insidiousness of marijuana is people think it isn't having a negative impact on their life because it's muted because of this type of drug, Kennedy said in an interview. He said he tried to smoke marijuana but couldn't because of his asthma. He has struggled with addiction to cocaine, oxycontin, and alcohol. St. Pierre, meanwhile, no longer is waging a lonely fight. Where there used to be two lobbyists on Capitol Hill arguing for legalized marijuana, St. Pierre said, there are now about 25. Hedge funds are interested in investing in marijuana businesses. Companies making components that can be used to smoke are now involved. A movement once seen as French is now seen as something historic. As a result, the W.E.B. Dubois Library at University of Massachusetts Amherst has started archiving NORML's files, including many of St. Pierre's personal papers. They have moved 200 cartons, 7,500 pounds, and thousands of videos. The college, St. Pierre said, is going to be the repository to answer the question for historians, how did marijuana become legal in the United States? All right, folks, that's all I have for this episode. Until next episode, have a good day, good night, good week, bye-bye. We pollinated your minds. Now, go pollinate the world.